Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 367 of the podcast. It's April 27th, 2020. Joining me today is Dr. Rachel Mandel. She's a self-described healthcare whisperer. She's a Washington, D.C.-based consultant for healthcare organizations. She has her own practice and also works as a senior healthcare advisor for Operational Performance Solutions, Inc. She is, of course, a physician. She's an OBGYN. She previously served as the vice president of medical affairs for a health system in Maryland, among other things. And, and you can read her full bio if you go to leanblog.org slash 367. Now, we recorded this podcast uh, two months ago in late February 2020. So much has changed since then, of course. We're going to be doing a follow-up podcast next week that I'll publish uh, much more promptly, where we will discuss some of the leadership and organizational challenges that health systems face now during the COVID-19 pandemic, and we'll, we'll talk about how Lean can help. But in this episode, we're going to talk about her past experiences with Lean and how she works as a, to be an advocate for this methodology, especially around the important issues of safety and quality. So um, to make sure you get that follow-up episode with Rachel, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can do so through um, the podcast service you're listening to right now, perhaps, or you can go to leancast.org for more information about how to subscribe and be notified of all future episodes. Well, again, our guest today is Rachel Mandel. Rachel, how are you? I'm great this morning. How are you, Mark? I'm doing real well. Um, you know, I'm excited to hear your perspectives, um, you know, as a, as a physician and a physician executive. And I guess with, with that in mind, um, I'll give you the floor to you know, introduce yourself and your background for the listeners. Terrific. I, I started out uh, my training with the military, which I was privileged and honored to do. I did tripler back, uh, training back in Tripler and then served at Fort Hood and Fort Bragg. My husband was active duty military physician as well. And so I moved around with him and we eventually ended up in in Maryland, where we've been for the last 24, 25 years, and I went into private practice as an OBGYN. I realized pretty early on that healthcare in the way that it was currently was not sustainable, and I thought about ways that I could work in healthcare that would help transform it and move it along and, and determine that it would be important for me to receive an additional degree. So I uh, went to Mount St. Mary's and uh, went into the Master's in Health Administration program during which I received a green belt in Lean Six Sigma, which is what started me on this journey. And that was back in uh, 2013. 2012, I became a uh, part-time physician executive as the assistant vice president of medical affairs, and then uh, the vice president of medical affairs. And approximately, oh, 16, 18 months ago, I decided that I would switch direction and opened up my own consulting company where I would, well, what I consider myself to be a healthcare whisperer, uh, somebody who helps individuals who interface with the healthcare system and want to collaborate with the healthcare system, help individuals who want to do that as a subject matter expert in the healthcare industry and, and using my knowledge of healthcare as not only a physician, not only as an executive, but uh, also as a, as a uh, teacher. I taught in that same MHA program for uh, four semesters, contemporary health policy. So I have a little bit of subject matter expertise on this and um, 
I'm working with with nonprofits. I work with strategy companies. And uh, the reason why you and I are talking today is because I also work with a uh, lean consulting company, Operational Performance Solutions, as their senior healthcare advisor, uh, attempting, and I use the word attempting because healthcare is a tough industry, attempting to um, get healthcare organizations to understand how much lean can do for them as they go through the necessary transformation that the healthcare industry must go through over the next five, 10, 20 years. Great. So um, kind of following up on a a few things you said in your introduction, um, I'm curious what you, what you learned, what you saw um, transitioning from uh, military medicine into um, the civilian sector in terms of, um, you know, opportunities for improvement and uh, what, what, how, how much was different? How much was similar? Sure. First of all, I mean, in healthcare, there are so many opportunities for improvement and we sure. all know, that. but um, healthcare and the practice of healthcare in the military system was very interesting because in some respects, it's a very pure practice of medicine because of the fact that you don't have insurance companies, you don't deal with a lot of that, um, bureaucracy in that respect, you mm-hmm. really practice medicine in the very simplest, purest of forms. You do what you what you need to do. It's really you and the patient. Of course, there are a lot of other different types of bureaucracies in that particular environment, uh, but that the practice of medicine was truly just that. You didn't have to worry about, about claims and about utilization and about a value-based care. At that point, you were practicing in a value-based care manner. It wasn't volume-based. In private practice, when I first started out, it was incredibly volume-based. And what you would typically consider as a a practice of medicine, you saw patients and you build insurance companies and you ran a business. And um, the business needed to be productive and have a bottom line because you can't run a business without it. Mm -hmm. And you can't see patients unless you have a productive business. But it was still very oriented to patient care. As healthcare started to move along in the last five years, 10 years, where people were looking for ways to modify healthcare, again, to move from volume-based care to value-based care, the amount of um, regulation, the amount of paperwork, the amount of processes that were put in place to manage the provision of healthcare increased significantly. And I think that's, that's really where physicians are struggling now uh, in terms of their practices. It's very difficult for them to focus only on that patient-physician relationship. There's so much other uh, static and noise in the background that makes it difficult. Yeah, static noise, distraction, waste. <laughs> There's different different ways we could frame that. Um, mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm curious. I mean, you know, uh, thinking about U.S. healthcare, and you know, we we have listeners to the podcast from from all over the world. But um, you know, thinking about American healthcare, and, and, and you talk about the system not being sustainable. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate on uh, like what, you know, kind of high level points around um, the biggest, um, the biggest solvable problems that, that would help things be more sustainable. I, I presume we're talking um, from uh, for one, from a financial perspective, right? Sure. So, so healthcare currently in the format that it's in, of course, is not sustainable. Whether whether it's seventeen percent or eighteen percent of of the GDP, that's that's a, a quibbling point. The point is, it's it's the largest amount of any uh, 
um, economically developed countries GDP in the mm -hmm. world. And our, and our outcomes uh, in this country are not any better. In fact, they're worse than a lot of other countries. So you can't make that argument that because we spend more money, we get better outcomes. It's just not right. true. So when you're taking a look at, at how much money we spend on healthcare, you have to kind of wonder how do you improve how we provide healthcare in a way that will not continue to expand how much we spend on healthcare. And that's what's so attractive about lean is that you really can get some process improvement and healthcare is, is just a series of processes. I know that healthcare people don't want to think about it that way. I mean, certainly physicians think about it in a way that it's an art. You, it's a calling. You practice the art of medicine, but it really is, a series of processes when you when you take a look at it. So there's so much opportunity there to decrease how much money we spend. There's so many efficiencies, there's so much waste. Some of that has to do with the fact that it's not interconnected, that people don't share information. So therefore you get repetition and you get you get redos. I mean how many times does somebody have to get a CAT scan because they don't know the results of the CAT scan that was done six months ago because mm -hmm. they don't have to that other person's file. Um, how much waste is there in terms of waiting? Wouldn't it be great if we no longer had waiting rooms because nobody waited? <laughs> uh, that's, that, that's just, you know, a vision. It's just a fantasy. No, it's a good ideal condition. It happens in some places. People have yes. to work toward it. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but there's so many, the complexity of the system itself, including the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical all of the special interests makes management that much harder. But there's so much that can be done at the local level and at the national level uh, that we, uh, there's so much opportunity. Yeah. So I want to ask, um, have you elaborate a little bit more about your initial introduction? You, you'd mentioned um, Lean Six Sigma. Um, you, you, you talked about the consulting you're doing today. You're framing that as lean. Um, I'm, I'm curious what some of your thoughts or reflections are, you know, from initial exposure to the approach that you're um, recommending and working with people on today. Sure. My journey wasn't any different really than anybody else's, especially as a physician. I squarely fell into that camp of Lean will not work in healthcare because healthcare is not like manufacturing. Um, when I did my MHA and we did Daryl Lean training, I listened to it. It was interesting, uh, but I didn't really think that it was apropos to what I was going to be doing and, and being in the healthcare industry. I started to change my viewpoint when I, I interacted with um, Sean Wolf. Sean Wolf is a is a lean guru. He's a consultant. He's a coach, and um, he was working in a manufacturing company as their COO, and had leaned their company. And he was giving tours to people who were interested at the hospital because he was uh, he was on the board to to show them how it worked in his company. And I can remember so clearly standing in this manufacturing company in front of a laser cutter. The laser cutter was um, cutting out pieces of, of sheet metal for the manufacturing process. And I remember standing there and saying to him, but this piece of sheet metal didn't say to you today, I don't want to do this. Or I would rather mm -hmm. that we do this, you know, in two hours when I feel like it, or I don't want to do this at all, or I don't want to be cut into this particular shape. I want to do something else. 
And, and we had a fairly lengthy conversation about in that particular aspect of it. And what I came to realize is, is that the patient as a customer is actually better than the piece of sheet metal. The piece of sheet metal can't talk to you, doesn't talk to you. You do want it to talk to you. We've actually got the ability in healthcare to get feedback from our customer when our process isn't working. So I came to think about it in a way that I think that lean is even better mm-hmm. for healthcare than it may be for manufacturing because of the fact that our customer can talk to us and tell us what, what what's working and what's not working. So I started to think more about it. I did quite a bit of reading. Um, I engaged uh, with this company that I'm working with. And we started really discussing the experiences that they've had in the past and then how I could help them um, interact with healthcare companies more to get more uh, uh, interest from healthcare companies and to really help them advance the, the healthcare companies, the hospitals, the organizations, the practices advance with lean assisting them in their processes. And um, there are so many places in healthcare that I think it would be easier to introduce lean because those areas are uh, more consistent with manufacturing. I think people can wrap their heads around it a little better, like sterile processing, for example. Sure. Any sterile processing department in a hospital, people can look at it and go, oh, I can kind of see how that's like manufacturing. Even though there's so many other places in the hospital that still would be amenable to lean, that's not a bad place to start. You've got some fairly concrete metrics. You've got processes. You've got... um, a subject matter expert group, this frontline staff who know their process well. You've got a lot of stakeholders. It's kind of a great place to start with lean. So um, there have been a lot of successes in, in SPDs and store processing departments with lean. And uh, it's something that I've really embraced. Uh, it's, it's helpful. And I think that you can really make a difference there. Yeah. And I, and I agree, you know, uh, what you're saying about uh, parts of the hospital that are more like a factory, you know, when I started working in healthcare, a lot of work I was doing was in clinical labs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think one of the differences, you know, whether it, you know, it's lab or pharmacy or sterile processing or other areas, you don't have that direct patient interaction. Mm-hmm. You're responding uh, to a customer order. Um, you're, you have processes that, um, that respond. Um, there, there's, there's not that same emotional connection that somebody in a clinic or an emergency department or an inpatient unit would have with the patient and and their feelings and their emotion, you know, that sheet of metal doesn't get frustrated because it's been sitting there in inventory. There's that customer service dimension to quality that um, I I think lean is very, very helpful um, in, in addressing that, not just efficiency but um, you know, quality of outcomes, quality of service is something that that we address with Lean as well. Sure. Yeah, I've actually got an example that just happened on Friday that that I think would would speaks to what you just talked about. Is that I was accompanying somebody to a, an ambulatory surgical center for a procedure, and of course there was a certain time that they were supposed to be there, and we walked in and were immediately told that the surgeon was running an hour behind. Hmm. So I immediately started to think to myself what's broken in their process that they did not have something in place to assess the situation. First of all, there are a lot of reasons why a surgeon of course can be behind and and be completely legitimate reasons. There may be some 
process-related reasons, but we won't go into that. But in terms of myself or the person I was with as a customer, we're talking about the classic waste of time, right? We're sitting there an hour extra. We didn't need to be. So what process do they not have in place to notify the customer or the patient there's going to be a delay and at least give them the option to come anyway or to stay home for that extra hour? So. So again, that's that's a, a customer-facing circumstance where there is emotion, there is engagement, where they've got a process that isn't working as well. Maybe they don't even have a process for that particular circumstance, but they could address it. It's something that they could fix. And from a customer standpoint, that's important. They take into account that person's feelings, they validate them as being important, that their time is valued. And I think in, in healthcare, that's huge. Whose time is important? Right. Right. So it has always been, at least the kind of conventional thinking has been, if you go to a doctor's office, it the perception is that the patient's time is not as important as the doctor's time. Well, uh, just- I've, I've, yeah, I mean, as I'm an industrial engineer by background and I don't have it sitting here on my desk, but I've found, I could probably look up again, uh, an industrial engineering journal article from the 1950s that calculated an implied value of patient waiting time. And the conclusion of the article was that, you know, the, the, the implied value of that patient time was essentially zero. And, but, you know, there's got to be a balance. We don't want doctors being underutilized and, and having their own waste of waiting. But the way it's always been in a lot of settings of, you know, intentionally double or triple booking and stacking patients up in a waiting room, mm-hmm. um, that that could be changed, sort of like your scenario around giving notification in advance that the surgeon's running behind, so why don't you stay home an extra hour? That could happen, but it all kind of flies in the face of that mm-hmm. powerful force of, well, the way it's always been. Correct. Right. Correct. But, but when you think about it, okay, that's just one example of one person on one day in one city, <laughs> in yeah. one state across this country. Uh, how often does that happen in, in all different venues all over? It's, it's mind boggling. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how, um, you know, this is, you know, e- easier asked than answered, but in, in, in your working with organizations, how do you help open their eyes to, you know, just not just saying like, oh, well, that way that would be possible, but to taking action, whether it's, you know, process improvement or, you know, earlier, you know, you talked about the idea of, you know, uh, necessary transformation. It seems like in a lot of organizations that that's still debatable, that need for process improvement, that need for transformation. It seems like organizations, a lot of them are still, you know, they're, they're getting by or they're doing well with the way it's always been they're not going to have a choice much longer. So, so healthcare as an industry is transforming. Medicare is pushing it. Insurance companies are pushing it, moving from, from volume-based to value-based. And, and attaching to performance uh, incentives and, and bonuses and, and taking money away or keeping money away, it's soon going to come financially necessary to deal with these issues. And healthcare organizations are latching onto all different kinds of approaches, platforms, models, systems that they're going to try, that they're trying to utilize to transform their culture in response to these 
these requirements that are coming. Uh, they're looking at they they look at patient safety culture. They look at high reliability high reliability organization guidelines. They're looking at um, you know just culture as a, as a part of patient safety. And what's interesting to me is that that all of these things that healthcare organizations are are adapting and embracing all over the country as part of their transformation. All of these things dovetail beautifully with lean. So. It's the ability to be able to make that connection between what they're already doing and the fact that they could be doing more. There's, there's a lot of struggle in, in, in healthcare adapting to lean, mm-hmm. and it still continues to surprise me um, that there is such a struggle and that it has been such a, a, a strain because, well, that makes sense. It makes sense to me that that's a perfect, uh, a perfect partnership because I think healthcare just has this hierarchy that struggles with this type of thing. I think that it's hard for um, executives in the C-suite to come out of their offices and to get out into the organization and to be willing to support this type of activity on a long-term basis. I mean, culture change takes three to five years. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. Sure. Yeah. It's just, as you said, that's the way that it's always been. And you really need somebody who's visionary in an organization to be able to commit to this type of thing in order to get the kind of change that everybody embraces to the point where the culture change is is so good that even if the individual who started it leaves, it's going to persist and sustain. Um, So what you have to do, I think from my standpoint, when I talk to an organization about this type of thing is what are they interested in? What do they need to do? What are their goals and what's in it for them? And that's certainly true from the physician standpoint. They're they're a tough group. What's in it for them? Um, I want to believe that it's it's patient safety and patient outcomes and taking care of the patient. So what can we do from a lean standpoint to make it easier for them to provide quality patient care? What can we do for the hospital or the office so that logistically and operationally it's easier for them to provide good quality care. And then, of course, the benefit's going to be cost savings, but that's not what you start with. You start with the quality. You start with the satisfaction, customer satisfaction, staff satisfaction. You start with the metrics that you can follow and and show clear examples of where they can get to based on what they do and then how it actually can make a difference. Yeah. And I mean, uh, you and I are on the same page when it comes to you know focusing on Safety, quality, staff satisfaction, things like that. Um, a couple of minutes ago, you, you know, you said you you want to believe that the motivations around quality or safety. Could, could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure, I, I I need to believe that my peers come to work every day wanting to take care of patients, not to make money. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. That that making the money is again the, the the side product or the way that they need to in the office so they can continue to provide care and make a living for their families. I mean, we'll be realistic, but that they come to work and that everybody comes to work in a hospital and they because they want to take care of patients right. and they want to take care of patients well. And sometimes that gets lost in in all of the regulation and all of the 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 busy work and all of the checking of the boxes and all of the multiple times you have to click into the electronic medical record Mm -hmm. that you lose sight of why you're there. And typically I find that when you bring that up is why are we here? The why, why are we here? What is our mission? 
it's pretty easy to pull people back in and have them refocus on what do you need to do to make it work. That that you concentrate really not on on individuals and blaming them for what's happening, but looking at the processes to make it work so that everybody can do the job that they came to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, coming back to that basic concept is really important. It's um, it, just like burnout. This whole idea of burnout for physicians, um, it, it distresses me when some of the solutions focus on the physicians. The physicians should be balancing their lives better. The physicians should be doing this. They should be doing that. And they won't be as burnt out. I think that a lot of the burnout that the providers are experiencing has to do with processes. Right. Right. So how can you help them have a better process, an easier process, a more efficient process so that they can do the thing that they want to do, which is take care of patients? How can you help the nurses who are at the patient's bedside um, do their jobs easier when they spend so much time walking around looking for supplies or, or looking for things that they need or waiting for medications or um, trying, trying to track down a specific item where if you implemented lean and you were able to, to 5S their, their, their counters and their storage areas, they'd know exactly where everything is and those extra couple of minutes they could actually spend sitting at the bedside of the patient talking to them and the family, which is really what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So um, you really have to get back to that why and, and why they went into healthcare and why they come to work. Yeah. And, and I, I you know, try to you know, empathize and I can imagine how the, 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 the initial motivations that, has, that somebody has at their beginning of their career um, get eroded maybe just due to the waste and the frustration and the systemic barriers that they're facing. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, if, if it seems like, you know, somebody has gotten to the point where, you know, uh, you know, all, all they care about is the money, then, you know, there, there's, I'm, I'm sure a systemic root cause to that. And, and how can we sort of re, re reinvigorate mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the caring motivations that are probably still inside that person. I'll be honest with you. It's not hard to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I found in my time as a, as an executive in the, in the C-suite that healthcare workers really don't require a lot of positive feedback or engagement to be happy in what they're doing. And um, that I found that, that some of that cynicism that people carry around with them is, is pretty easy to break through. If you listen to them, and if you actually can follow through and, and not disappoint, but that takes time and that takes effort. And this kind of brings me back to that issue about the, the senior executives, how important it is, how critical it is in, in lean and implementation of lean, especially in healthcare, that this is something that the senior executives support and that they engage in and that they truly believe in. Because if they don't model the behavior, if they don't completely support it and understand it, they won't be successful. They might get a couple of projects done. You may have, you know, a little bit of, of positivity here. You may save a little bit of money there. You might, you might streamline one process, but as a culture change so that it's really continuous improvement, it's just not going to work. Um, if you visualize, for example, if you've got a, a leader who says it's everybody's responsibility to take care of the patients. It's everybody's responsibility to keep the hospital clean and to do what needs to be done. Let's say, for example, um, 
they're the leader, the CEO is walking around in the hospital and there's a piece of paper on the floor and that leader walks right by that piece of paper. And the staff sees that. Well, what incentive or what motivation do they have to continue to really work hard and to do everything the organization's asking them to do when they don't see that behavior modeled by their leaders? Right. As right. simple as that is, right? So it really takes a commitment. And that commitment is time and effort, which of course are things that are in, in short supply in a lot of organizations, and appropriately so, but it's it's a prioritization. Yeah. yeah. But when it works, it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. When it I mean, um, people people like to see their senior executives. I loved rounding on the floors. Now, maybe a little more comfortable for me, more clinical unit, because that's where I come from. That's that's you know my background. But initially, people were very agitated. What's the vice president doing here? What is she uh, doing? Right. And then they get used to you. And I'll be honest with you, I was, yeah. there were a couple of weeks went by that that I didn't wasn't on a particular unit because I was on on leave or there was something else came up or their manager couldn't do it. And I walked onto the unit and one of the, the nursing assistants looked at me and she said, where have you been? <laughs> and that made me feel really good. Yeah. And yeah. Also made me really understand how important it is to them that they get seen and that they get heard. And right. that maybe there's a communication <laughs> for what's going on with them, that they're not alone. So, yeah. It takes time and effort. No matter where lean is, no matter how it's implemented, that type of thing is going to require the senior leaders to be completely engaged. Yeah. And so talking about, you know, some other other positive things um, you know, that, that come out um, from lean and, um, you know, connections between lean and patient safety. You're, you're doing a talk at an Institute for Healthcare Improvement event coming up. I was wondering if you could talk um, a little bit about um, the, the, the event and, and, and some of the message that you plan on sharing there. Sure. So, um, so IHI, of course, does a ton of work in the area of patient safety and they, their annual patient safety Congress is in May. And uh, I'll presenting with um, Dr. Ron Wyatt, who is a uh, internationally known patient safety expert. And I'm really excited to be um, partnered with him on this. So the title of the talk is, is Lean and Patient Safety, The Perfect Partners. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about lean, but really about specifically ways in which lean can be implemented in a healthcare organization, how that impacts patient safety. And, um, and then giving a specific example related to sterile processing, because again, people can wrap their heads around it and give a case study of lean implementation in a sterile processing department and the improvements that were uh, achieved over a six-month period of time and then over a one-year period of time so that the participants can see that anybody can really do it with with an engagement and, and, and looking at the right things and then using those same concepts and ideas in other areas of the hospital. Um, I, I was involved in uh, a, a project where we were te- taking a look at advanced directives and, and this is something specifically related to patient safety. And there, and there are so many examples. I mean, in hospitals, patients, they're working on, on uh, decreasing the number of infections from uh, for urinary catheters and, and decreasing the number of infections from IVs and bloodstream infections and, and how people get infections when they're uh, in the intensive care unit and they're on the ventilator. These are things that are pretty well established and pretty well known, but they are related to the process of uh, working out 
how this care is provided, multidisciplinary groups sitting down, dissecting out the process, using evidence-based uh, medicine to determine the best course of action. And then the, the harm that's been caused by these interventions has decreased significantly across the entire uh, country in these areas. So that, those have been really great examples of how lean concepts in kind of focal areas have been successful. Um, but again, they, they can be bigger. So back to advanced care planning. Having an advanced directive is extremely important from a patient safety or patient care standpoint. If you know what you want at your most vulnerable moments towards your end of life, but they don't, your, your wants don't get uh, notified or you want, they're not justified or verified because the person who's taking care of you doesn't have your advanced directive then that's a patient safety issue. So we had a long discussion about how do we not only encourage people to do an advanced care plan, but how do we get that advanced care plan into the system so that the doctors and the care providers have access to it so they can actually implement it and look at it when they're taking care of people. So we took a lean approach to it in the sense that we got a multidisciplinary group together. We, we did a, a value stream analysis basically. And we didn't call it that because at that time we weren't doing lean and I didn't want to scare anybody. But uh, we, we took this multidisciplinary group, everybody who could possibly touch an advanced directive from outpatient to registration, to the nursing, to, to um, the people in the medical records, to the staff on the floor, to the IT people. We worked through the process as it currently stood. We talked about how we could make it better. We talked about a standardized workflow. And again, I didn't call it that because I didn't want to scare them. Mm-hmm. And um. But we worked through a process where an advanced directive from anywhere, whether it was a patient walking in the door someplace or um, a, a nursing home or a doctor's office, that advanced care plan would take the same process, the same route into the system. And then people would be trained and educated on where to find it in the electronic system and then how it would get into the system through medical records. And we saw the numbers of medical records with advanced care plans attached to them start to increase steadily. Once the process was implemented, we made improvements along the way and it's really had a significant impact on the number of advanced care plans that are available to providers for patients. That's a, that's a huge patient safety issue. Mm-hmm. That's just one example. As I said, there's, yeah. there's infections and there's just even think about blood transfusions. If you have a good process in place, for providing blood transfusions in a safe manner, then you will decrease the number of, of outcomes or adverse events. That's a high risk procedure and it should be done correctly and safely a hundred percent of the time, but you need to know your process. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm curious to kind of talk more about, um, you know, you're saying, you know, not wanting to scare physicians off by talking about lean or when, when we talked previously, you know, you, you said you've learned some lessons around not talking about cost or not even not. So, but you know, uh, using, using a phrase more like process improvement or how, how does that resonate if, if people um, again, or maybe still kind of um, coming around to the idea of viewing their work as a series of processes, as you called it. Yeah. Process improvement may not sit as well either. Um, I think it really comes down to what can I do for you to make this work better so that you can take care of your patients better. Yeah. Um, it, it really, that's, that's what I think it comes down to just in the, on the simplest, most basic level. 
um, I had a had a urologist come to me and started to say to me, I have a problem, oh, but forget about it. And I finally was able to coerce him into talking to me about what his issue was because he really felt like administration didn't listen to him. Mm. And I wasn't going to be able to do anything for him anyway, but he had a frustration, you know, that pain point, right? Yeah. What are your pain points? When you come to work in the morning and you walk into the room and you say, I can't believe I have to do this again. So he had a pain point where if he got called in the middle of the night for a patient that needed an intervention, needed a catheter, I'm hoping I'm not getting too medical. No, that's um, right. Go ahead. That he would have to come in in the middle of the night to put a catheter in a patient who needed it, but he really felt like a nurse could have done it or somebody else could have done it, or if they had special equipment or support that they could have done it and they might not have needed him to come in in the middle of the night to do something that he really felt didn't require his expertise. Mm. So we, we talked about it. We, we worked around it. We talked to the nurses and worked out a process for that particular issue. And it involved setting up a cart with special equipment, having nurses who were specially trained to do it, who were kind of on a call list. And there was a checklist of what, what should be done. This happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this should happen. And it cut down significantly the number of times that the urologist got called in the middle of the night. But in addition to that, the side, the, the side benefit was that the nurses felt empowered that they could take care of their patients without having to make a phone call when they really didn't need to. They were able to take care of their patients in the best way they could, that they had support, that they had the equipment that they needed, that they had the expertise they needed. And if they needed to call the doctor, then everybody knew it was because that really needed to happen. And that was okay. Um, that was his pain point. And, and, it, and of course the other doctors had the same pain points. They just hadn't expressed it. And through a, a, an evaluation, like a root cause analysis, we went through it. We found a, a solution after we analyzed the whole issue. Again, it got tweaked a couple of times along the way, but once it was implemented, the process was much better. So, but I would never say to him, you know, this is process improvement. I was just working to fix his pain points so he could yeah. do it. Well, I, I can imagine process improvement or lean or, or six sigma or lean six sigma or where you know, that, that could all sound like really theoretical and esoteric mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, the process of, uh, and that, let's say the process of improving things, but you know, making things better, eliminating pain points. But I, you know, I, I've seen two challenges in healthcare, and I'm curious your your reaction. One is, I think you alluded to it, the sense of resignation where people say ah, it's not even worth bringing up. Mm-hmm. And then, secondly, um, yeah, I think sometimes people get very accustomed to the problems to the point where they don't see it as a problem anymore. They just, they view it as work. They're getting through the day. They have a workaround. It's not ideal, but it's good enough. Like right. those, those seem like barriers to um, people right. getting excited about the idea of improvement, yet alone transformation. Right. Um, those are two big obstacles. I agree. Um, I've run up against both of them multiple, multiple times, not only in my career as a practicing physician, but as a consultant, really more so as a practicing physician and as an administrator. 
the way, the only way that I've found around that is actually to put myself on the line and to say, I will work with you on this. I can't guarantee mm. that I can fix it, but I will do my hardest to address this issue. And what I have found is, is that that typically works. People are pretty reasonable when they understand that at least there's an attempt, somebody's listening to them and that understands what the issue is. And not everything is fixable or not fixable in the way that you want it to be, but you at least have to listen. And that's the communication part of this, right? The people, the people who do the work, you respect the people who do the work, you go to them and you, you do your hardest to listen to what they've got going on. Um, I, as a senior leader, one of the things that we did was we rotated through all the departments uh, to round. And I was assigned one week to the plan operations department. And I walked into the department and um, there were 15 or, or 20 guys in there. And uh, uh, cumulatively, they had probably had 200 years of experience. They just, they'd all been there a long time. And I, and I talked to them and they, we talked for a while and about 45 minutes in, one of them says to me, I'm going to ask a question. I don't mean to be rude, but you haven't made any notes. So either you've got a very good memory or you don't really <laughs> care what we're saying. <laughs> mm. And that told me a whole lot, right? I mean, that told me a lot yeah, about yeah. their experience and, and what their, their thinking was. And I said, no, I said, I've got it. It's okay. We'll, 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 we'll be okay. Um, so we talked some more. I, I went back to my office. I, I brain dumped all the information. I, I validated it with their manager who was there and then proceeded to work through their issues. And, and I told them, I said, I can't, I said, I can't answer all your questions for you, but I will put you in touch with the people who can. And I did the best that I could to, to address each of their issues. It was very well received. Um, they, they've told me multiple times that that was probably one of the best roundings they've ever had. And I'm not, I'm not looking to pat myself on the back, but the point is, is that it took time. It took my time. It took their time. It took other people's time to work through these pain points of theirs and to try and sort out what was going on. And they needed that communication. And, and we needed to give them that time. And to do that all over a hospital with every unit, with every, I mean, it's huge. I, I yeah, understand yeah. that challenge, but you've got to start someplace. You've got to start with that problem. And, you know, healthcare workers are really good at workarounds. They're really good at, at just making their way through and getting the job done. They are so excellent at that. That doesn't necessarily solve the problem, obviously, in the long term. Right. Um, you know, you've just got to step in there and, and kind of say, I know this is the way that it's always been. I understand that. Let's see if we can try and find a different way that, that makes everybody happier that makes that makes your work a little easier yeah you may be able to 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 make an inroad but again it takes time yeah so i mean you you've had a lot of different perspectives and and roles that you've played um in and around healthcare. um one that i wanted to ask you about you mentioned rounding um and you know, there's yeah, maybe a lot of listeners who are, are, are very familiar with the idea of physician rounding, and some who might not be. But can, can you talk a little bit about sort of the habit or tradition of physician rounding and the idea of leadership rounding? Are there are there, are there parallels? Are there key differences? 
Sure. So physician rounding is is fairly straightforward. You have a, a patient in the hospital, and we'll we'll just put it in that venue because that's the easiest way to talk about it. Whether it's somebody's been admitted for a medical problem or somebody's had surgery, you, uh, for example, for me, uh, and I'm, I'm my training is OBGYN. Uh, if I did a surgery on a patient in the morning, I would go round. I would go see them in the hospital in, in the evening before I went home for the night. Um, I would come in first thing in the morning and round on them to see how they were doing and, and would continue to do so uh, until they went home. And um, rounding happens on a very regular basis on all patients, whether they're medical patients or seen by hospitalists, whether they're seen by, by, by surgeons or um, different specialties. So that's what physicians do to see their patients, to assess them, and to make sure that, that they're getting better and that they're, they're ready to go home safely. It's similar to administrative rounding in the sense that uh, you do the same thing. You go to the floor, you, you talk to, at this time when you do administrative rounding, it could be a patient, but really administrative rounding is more about the staff, more about the facility, more about um, the operations of what's happening at a hospital or in a clinic. Now, theoretically, you could go see a patient. And when I was doing rounding, I would do that on occasion. If I was rounding on with a unit and a manager, we would decide ahead of time or at that time whether we would be discussing staffing, whether we'd be discussing uh, operations, or whether we would go see a patient who had a question or a concern. And then I would be the administrative representative uh, to that patient and hear about what they were thinking, what was going on. Did they have a concern or an issue that I needed to address? Uh, it might have been patient experience oriented. So as an administrator, you really, you're not doing clinical medicine. You're not making patient, obviously patient care decisions, but you're making operational decisions. Mm-hmm. And at least what I consider more important is you're out there communicating with the organization, with the staff, it's visibility. They see you, they know you, they know there's somebody who's paying attention to them. It's an opportunity for them to express their concerns. It's an opportunity for you to see what they do. I mean, it's a classic Gemba in in every sense of the word. You're you're going to where the work is being done and you're watching what they're doing and you're asking them how you can support them to make it easier to do their work. And unless you're there, you don't really understand that, right? Unless Mm -hmm. you understand. Um, because you've seen it firsthand. Again, I keep coming back to this idea, but it's really important. It takes time and it takes investment. But in healthcare, it actually doesn't take a lot of time or investment because healthcare people are not used to anybody paying attention to them. You pay a little bit of attention. It goes a long way. Yeah, It goes a long way. You can, you can have a huge impact with a little bit of an involvement. Um, and, and being and telling people that you you hear what they're saying, you understand what their their pain points, and you want to work with them to make it better. You take all of those lean concepts and principles, um, and there's a place in healthcare for it. I mean, it works. I think it works really well. I think mm-hmm. it works perfectly. Uh, even the even the little tiny things. When I was operating. Um, I and I still do, but I did then. I have a latex allergy, and so mm-hmm. I needed specific gloves. To, to operate. And there were one or two times when I'd come to the operating room and have a couple of cases scheduled and they did not have those gloves in my size. At least they weren't there for me. They had to look for them. They had to mm. find else where they were located. So the workaround, the solution to the problem was to give me a box of those gloves for me to lock in my locker. 
Well, that's great for me, (laughs) but that doesn't solve the problem. What happens to the next person who comes in who needs that glove and that size? Well, they're in my locker and I'm not there. Um, So, you know, they're good at workarounds, but they don't have the support or the vision to understand how what they do impacts on a larger scale. And they need some guidance. They, they need somebody to pay attention to these issues. I mean, if somebody had come to me and said, what's your pain point? And I said to them, they don't have my gloves when I need them. <laughs> and if they use lean to, to work that problem. I mean, the benefits of the organization in general would be huge. Yeah. yeah. But if they're not given that opportunity, then you can't, you can't fix it. You can't work yeah. it. Well, and there's, there's um, boy, you know, operational definition of solving a problem because some might label, um, you know, the, the, we'll call it, you know, in, in lean speak, sometimes a countermeasure at mm-hmm. best, you know, the short-term countermeasure of let's make sure Dr. Mandel has gloves in her locker, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll call that solved as right. opposed to stepping back and um, looking right. for a deeper, more preventive countermeasure. Right. And, and, and that's, that's part of the problem, right? That's part of the deficit is that quick fix yeah. um, or that, that inclination to blame as opposed to looking for the underlying process that can be improved. Um, right. If you, if you think about, let's say there's somebody in the emergency room, a nurse goes to do an EKG and um, the, the technical EKG is, is poor. The technical aspect of the EKG is poor. Let's forget about the clinical part or what it reads or anything else going on. But the EKG was done incorrectly, at least when you look at the report. So the implications of that are pretty significant. The the physician can't read it. The patient's at risk. There's a delay in care. There may be an inclination to blame the nurse who's done the EKG to say, you did that wrong. Mm, Right. Where in fact, there may be other reasons why in the process it came out that way. Were leads labeled correctly? Was the machine, you know, maintained? Was she able to find, you know, a machine that's working appropriately? Was there, was there educational material? Sometimes people put next to EKG machines, uh, an anatomical chart that shows you where the lead should go. Um, You know, there's so many things that could go into why an EKG was correct or not correct that, that have nothing to do with the person who did it, but it's a process. So, lean would give them the capability to look at that problem and not jump to the immediate fixes. Well, she did it wrong. Blame her for it. Re-educate her. When in fact, that really may not be the problem. So, um, you know, healthcare, it it needs a a culture change. It needs kind of a a shift in how it thinks about some of these problems. Um, I think once you you get people to think about the fact that you're moving from, from person blaming to not the person, it's the process, you're probably going to get some traction because people don't want to be blamed. <laughs> people. Right. right. Well, and it's, it's not, and it's not fair to blame them for systemic problems. Right. And once they realize that they're not going to get blamed for something that, that, you know, the straightforward, they will be more engaged in identifying and helping to improve a process because, you know, as well as anybody, that the people who are on the front line, the nurses and the staff and, and, and all the ancillary help, they know what the issues are. And they probably have some pretty good ideas in terms of how to, how to work them and how to improve the process. But they're concerned that they may get you know, pulled on the carpet for a problem that really is not a person problem, but is a process problem. Yeah. So that, that's safety. And that's part of just culture and high reliability that, that 
creating that safe place for people to talk about these things, that's the responsibility of the leadership. And again, it goes back to leadership, right? Making people comfortable that they can talk about these issues. And therefore, once they start talking about these issues, then they can help um, improve them. Yeah. So maybe, you know, one other um, question around leadership and again, back to the different roles um, that you've played as, as a surgeon and as an executive and as a consultant, what are some of the differences that you've seen in being an insider versus being an outsider like you're, uh, like you're doing now? Sure. Um, I was lucky when I was an insider um, because I had some long-term capital that I could use. Um, people that I knew, that I knew personally, that even if it didn't make sense to them, they were willing to listen because they knew me. Um, as a consultant, it is tougher. It's tougher to break through a culture that you, you're not familiar with. And you really have to come at it with um, a little more formal approach and an approach that, that based on what you know about the organization might be successful in terms of what everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for some process improvement. Everybody knows that healthcare is is changing from, from volume to value. And um, so you want to try and tie into what they already have going and not say we can fix all of your problems. You've got to be realistic, but it is definitely much harder to come into an organization that you're not familiar with. On the other hand, everybody has the same problems. Everybody mm-hmm. has the same Everybody is is looking at the same goals at this point. I, I worked in Maryland. Maryland is different in that Maryland is the only state in the country that's under a waiver from Medicare. And without going into too much detail, um, the state controls reimbursements for the hospital uh, based on a, on a deal with Medicare back from the 70s. And the hospitals in, in Maryland are reimbursed in a different way and are, are being asked to do different things than all the rest of the, the states in the country. But this is a pilot program that we know that Medicare is going to roll out across the country. So everybody's going to be moving in the same direction very shortly and looking for ways to improve what they do. So taking that strategy into account, that is a way to approach an organization from the outside, knowing that these are going to be obstacles and struggles they're going to have. And they're going to have to figure out some way to meet them um, in their culture and and, in their organization. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, before we wrap up here, um, you know, if you can share a little bit more about the, the consulting you've been doing and let people know, you know, the website or where, where they can learn more. But um, again, I was just kind of curious to follow up. Um, are, are, are you also using and teaching um, Six Sigma methodologies going back to your original Lean Six Sigma or are you seeing more uh, application of Lean in the work that you're doing? I'm seeing more application of lean as opposed to to Six Sigma, just because of the nature of what Six Sigma is. I mean, it really is very, very specific. It's, you know, obviously statistically very oriented. You can, and there are usually a few people in an organization who are working Six Sigma. Uh, I think that you get more result, especially from the standpoint of a culture change, the more people you get involved, the more people you get thinking about process improvement. And that's more consistent with lean methodology. So I personally like lean as opposed to Six Sigma or whatever people consider lean Six Sigma to be. So that that would be my preference is to go with lean because it just, it gets more people involved. It gets more people interested in what's going on. You get more feedback. uh, You get more people from the front line engaged 
which is really where the work's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would agree. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's a time and a place for six Sigma methods. Um, my, my bias is, is clearly on the, you know, lean as a engagement management system, culture change strategy. Um, right. And, you know, I think lean or, you know, six Sigma methods um, can be used as needed. And there, you know, there's even a lot of overlap, you know, between, right. you know, older TQM statistical methods, I mean, it doesn't really matter how we label that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But um, can, you know, before we wrap up, can, can you tell people um, again, you know, about the firm that you're working with now and, and, and websites and ways people can find you online? Sure, sure. Um, I, so I work with Operational Performance Solutions, and uh, you can go to the website, and it's easy to, to, to search. It's, it's opsinc.com, um, or just search for Operational Performance Solutions, and, and they're based in Maryland, but they, they're all across the country and um, have a pretty pretty good depth of, of experience in, in their organization. And, and I like being their, their clinical consultant, their healthcare consultant, because there's, there's so much need there. Um, certainly, if somebody wants to get in touch with me, they can they can email me at rachelmandelmd at gmail.com. I'd be happy to have a conversation. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, again, if you're going to be at the IHI patient safety Congress, you know, please, please come to my talk on the, the 15th. I'd love to see you, you know, come up and introduce yourself and we can have a conversation, but this, I find this as, as a clinician, I find this incredibly exciting. Uh, and I just, I want to be someplace where I can make a difference and, and do some meaningful work. And I think lean is a great way to do that. Well, great. Well, Rachel, thank you for um, for sharing your thoughts. You know, I always enjoy, um, as I have in other episodes, um, you know, hearing a uh, physician perspective on, you know, sort of coming around on lean, helping others come around on lean. And, you know, I appreciate um, what you're doing out there to um, you know, kind of open people's eyes and, and, and challenge them and, and help them improve. Um, so that's great. Do you, do you have any final thought um, to leave with the listeners before we go? I don't want people to be frustrated by the system in that the healthcare is a great industry to work in. You just got to think about what you can do to, to improve it. And just remember that you're there for a great reason. It's a great calling. It's a great job. Don't give up. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, so, so again, uh, Dr. Rachel Mandel uh, has been our guest today. Um, thank you so much for joining us and uh, taking time out to um, share your thoughts. Thanks Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.